This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. All right, guys, today we've got a very special guest on the podcast, and that is Lila Rose. She is the founder and president of Live Action. So if you're not familiar with Live Action, they are one of the largest pro-life organizations on the planet, and they are certainly that in the social space. So if you're on Instagram or Twitter, they do a lot of stuff on there. But this is a pro-life organization that Lila started in her living room when she was 15 years old. So just think about what you were doing when you were 15, because I was a little embarrassed when I found out that at the age of 15, she started this basically pro-humans living organization, this huge organization that has grown to be such an influential thing in our society and in our culture. But live action is here and it exists to eradicate abortion. That is what they're here to do. This is a human rights organization. Human rights start in the womb. Obviously, guys, we've talked about this a lot of different ways on this podcast. We've dedicated entire episodes to this subject. This is something that is kind of interspersed and undergirds a lot of the things that we talk about. Guys, we are very much so in the pro-life cause and it's organizations that live action, like live action, that help us get the information out there and make sure that it's accurate. But the way that live action kind of is trying to eradicate abortion is they really do this in two ways, is one through education and the other is through investigation. So on the education side, they publish one of the most widely read news sites on pro-life issues. So if you want to stay up to date on things that are going on with the pro-life cause, that's a great place to go. They're a great resource for that but also investigation. They infiltrate pro-abortion industries and pro-abortion facilities, and they go in there and they try to expose the lies of places like Planned Parenthood and other abortion mills. It's something that they do. They are constantly on the front lines, and Lila is the leader. She is in the trenches on a day-to-day basis, and the thing about it is, is she is an important voice in this space, and guys, she's going to challenge you today. I mean, we talk about a lot of things and we get into some topics that you don't really talk about around the dinner table and what most of you have never really talked about before. But the thing is, is she's aggressive in a very grace-filled way. I guess that's the only way I could describe it. I'm just sitting here while I was doing the interview. We just wrapped up just a second ago and I'm just like, yeah, yeah, it's like you're ready. It's like you're ready to go to battle because the things that she's saying are true. This is a Christian woman that is leaning on the truths of God in order to fight against the evils of Satan. She doesn't really you know, pull any punches with this podcast. That's why we loved having her on. So without further ado, let's get into it. Lila Rose, welcome to Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. Thanks for having me on, Kyle. I, I'm honored to be the inaugural woman. I know. I was going to tell you, in case you didn't know, you are the first female guest of this podcast. So you have shattered the glass ceiling. Congratulations. We will send you a plaque. Uh, but we're, we're so happy to have you on this podcast because you talk about a subject that we care about a lot on this podcast and with this ministry, and that's the subject of abortion. And so I didn't, I couldn't think of anybody that would be better to talk about this uh, than you. So we're, we're excited to really have you on. And just to launch in from the beginning, the crazy thing about Live Action, which is the organization that you've created, is that you founded it in your living room when you were 15 years old. Now, most of us probably don't want to tell you what we were doing when we were 15, but we certainly weren't starting a movement. So kind of what what did your upbringing have to do with you kind of being into the pro-life cause and kind of what makes Live Action different and how have you created it to be different than some of the other pro-life organizations that we know of? Totally. So I am very blessed that I come from a huge family um, and a very faith-filled family. So I'm one of eight kids, um, the third oldest, oldest girl, got five brothers. My parents raised us as Christians. And that whole dynamic of being in among a lot of children, babies were seen as blessings. My parents were pretty countercultural. They homeschooled us. We grew up in Silicon Valley. So Northern California during the tech boom, when, you know, the whole um, left coast thing was happening, San Francisco, very left leaning. Um, But my parents were really 
adamant about the gift of life and education and faith and family. And so that was really kind of by osmosis what I was um, being influenced by growing up. And then when I found out about abortion, it kind of happened um, kind of accidentally. I was probably nine or 10 years old. And I was in my parents' house looking for a book to read. Again, homeschool family, lots of books everywhere, lots of extracurriculars, lots of sort of you know organized chaos. And I found this book called The Handbook on Abortion. And I opened it up. I was only, again, nine or so at the time. And it had this, it was kind of an older book. My parents had just stashed it away with all these other books. But I was interested in it. I had heard about abortion, but I didn't really know what it was. It was just sort of a term I may have heard at the dinner table before. And so I I opened the book up and I remember seeing Kyle for the first time, these images. And I was just um, completely struck, um, heartbroken by what I saw. I was looking at the image of a child in the first trimester. So the first three months of pregnancy, this baby was probably 10 weeks old and he or she had been torn apart by a powerful suction aspiration abortion, which is the most prevalent abortion in America. Right. And I'm looking at this as a nine-year-old. I'm thinking, is this real? Is this really happening? I went and showed my mom and I said, is this real? She said, yes, this is abortion. I started to learn more. I started to study. I mean, as I got older, I was really interested in like human rights and causes. But I kept coming back to the cause of abortion because I discovered that there were and to this day there's a little less than this but still that it's an astronomical number there at the time where there were a million abortions every single year legally in our country now there's a little less than that but hundreds of thousands of children being killed and i and it was legal and it was accepted by society and i was just learning about this i thought wow i'm safe and protected as a kid as a little baby as a child in this household growing up but there are children out there who are not protected and so as a teenager, I was like, okay, I have to do something. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to start something to save a life, just to educate one person and maybe save one life. And so that inspired me to just get together with some friends and be like, okay, what can we do in San Jose, California? You know, what can we do here to reach other young people with the truth? Because I learned that a lot of young people have abortions. In fact, most abortions are in very young women. So what do we do to try to give them the education they need so that they can choose life? And that was the, the beginning, the inspiration point for live action. Well, that's incredible. And I know that a lot of people have found themselves in the same shoes as you. I remember when I was on a college campus as a freshman, and those are the first times I'd seen images of an abortion before. And it's funny, it's such a sanitized word until you see what an abortion actually is. And then it's uh, it's not quite so easy. But for you, you're literally in the trenches of the abortion war every day. I mean, there's there's no one that I that I know of that has a larger profile that is just basically centered around the pro-life cause. Obviously, Matt Walsh and Ben Shapiro, those guys have their big platforms for other reasons, a lot of political reasons. But for you, that takes an unreal amount of courage to, to be talking about that that topic day in and day out. And I'm sure you would say that it's worth it. But I guess the the question I have that I'm curious about is why do you put yourself through that? Like, what is what is the reason? Well, I think once you uh, see what an abortion is, like you said, you saw an image of a child who's killed by abortion and it's no longer sanitized. It's no longer medicalized and talked about as a woman's right, but you see it as this totally destructive violence against an innocent child. I mean, the dismemberment, dismemberment, the decapitation sometimes of a baby, of a human being. These are almost all of them are fully formed. I mean, by the end of the first trimester, you have all the internal organs that are there, the arms, the legs, the little face, everything. So once you actually like come to grips with that horror, 
um, it, it gives you a fire. It gives you a courage. And then once you start to take action, and I'm sure people listening, you know, the men listening who may have taken action for what is right, standing up for justice in their own lives. Once you do it the first time, it, it hurts, it's hard. It hurts. You know, people shout at you, 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 someone's mad at you, but the more times you do it, the thicker you, your, your skin gets. And I think that was what I learned from a young age is, is to put yourself out there. The attacks do get greater. The, you know, the bigger you get, the harder you fall, the bigger you get, the harder, the bigger the attacks. But but, but as as you struggle forward and you persevere in standing up for what's right, your skin gets thicker. And, I, and a huge part of it for me, too, has been, Kyle, my faith. I mean, God is the author of all life. He's He's the giver of all grace. I mean, he, he has the strength for every battle. He is the winner of every battle. And so to know that I am doing a little part to try to serve him and ser- fight for his, his children and fight for women and men and, and marriage and these good things, that also is the, the source of my strength. Well, guys, if you were wondering before now why I had Lila on this show, that answer should be the case. Because here's the thing is most guys are just scared to get into the fray. Uh, They don't really like conflict. And certainly something like this to where you post something pro-life on Twitter and you're canceled by all your friends. You know, we're we're getting to that place now where cancel culture, it might come for your job. Like they might come for your house when you post something that is just completely against what they believe. But uh, and that kind of gets into the next thing I wanted to talk about is just really the overall militants of the pro-abortion lobby, the pro-abortion movement, people that consider themselves to be pro-choice. There's a definitive difference between most of the tactics on the pro-life side and the pro-choice side. Where do you think that militance comes from, from people that are on the pro-abortion side? Well, I mean, they are uh, incredibly serious about protecting this so-called right to abortion. And um, I think a lot of it's fear-based, a lot of it's wound-based, but I think a lot of it, quite frankly, is it's, it's the power of evil. I mean, it's satanic. And abortion, dismembering a child is satanic. There's no way around that. I'm not saying the person who goes to have an abortion is personally satanic. I think that they're involved in it in a great satanic evil. But ultimately, there is a great war here. It's a spiritual battle. It's not just this, you know, we don't just battle against flesh and blood, as St. Paul says in Ephesians, but this is against powers and principalities, against spiritual forces. And, you know, when I when I started doing investigative reporting when I was in college and live action does that to this day. And so going undercover in abortion clinics, doing investigative reports on the abortion industry, I saw firsthand that they use lies. They use manipulation. They use fear in order to uh, persuade women that this is the right thing for them, that they should do this. It's a lot of fear driven decision making that's happening in abortion clinics. And the way to the way to uh, dismantle that is to speak the truth without fear. Uh, or if you feel the fear to still speak it anyways. And it, it, it definitely, I mean, I don't, I'm not saying it's going to be easy. It's not easy, but one person standing up against that one person willing to stand up despite the fact that they might get canceled by someone, or maybe even their job might be at risk or something, you know, they have a lot on the line. You then give the courage to others. Your example inspires others. But if all of us are silent, if all of us look at each other and we're afraid of what might happen, and often, by the way, the fear of what might happen is often greater than what the thing itself. You know that one Twitter troll. Um, sure. When we find our courage and we speak our voice, speak out. We find other people that do agree with us. We give other people the courage, and we actually build alliances. So I think the thing that um, the takeaway for anyone listening is this is a spiritual battle. It requires prayer. It requires uh, guarding our, you know, putting on the armor of Christ. It, it requires leaning into our faith, but it does require sacrifice and speaking up and being willing to take some of those blows. We will discover that others will join us and we will discover alliances that we, we did not see. We may not have known, known about before. 
And when your answer is actually pertinent to something that's happened recently, just within the last few days, I got a message from one of our listeners and he was just so confused about spiritual warfare. This is a guy that's been a Christian for about 30 years. And he's like, I can't find pastors that will talk about spiritual warfare. And I kind of told him, I was like, you're assuming your pastors are sheepdogs. You're assuming your pastors are tough guys. That's a really hard topic to talk about for people, which dovetails into what I want to talk about now, because I find a major issue with modern day churches as it pertains to the issue of abortion. Um, they either one, don't talk about abortion at all, or secondly, you know, maybe they talk about it softly. They just kind of peck around at the edges. Uh, and the third thing is maybe they condemn it from the pulpit, but nowhere else. You're, you're never going to find them online. You're never going to find them on the street corner. They're only going to do it from behind the safety of their pulpit. So from your perspective, uh, there are a lot of churches that do go out and about, but the majority of them don't. Why are most churches unwilling to get into the trenches on this subject? I mean, it's literally a violation of the Imago Dei, of, of the image of God. Like, what's their problem? Why won't they jump in? It's a good question. I think there's a few things at play. First of all, um, there is it is very difficult to be disliked. You know, you don't want to cause offense. Uh, pastors are trying to fill their seats, you know, their pews. And so to speak the truth about the hardest conflicts underneath the surface in our culture, conflicts about sex, you know, the truth about sex and marriage and, and pornography, to speak the truth about, of course, human life and abortion, these are hard things and they affect people personally. This is not just some political issue. This is an issue that's in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our communities. So that's why I, I think a lot of pastors are just frankly afraid. They don't want to make a mistake. They don't want to alienate people. But by by making that choice of not saying anything and not addressing it, they let the the evil sit. They they do not deal with the the violence in their own household, and they will not protect those that are the most vulnerable and also give the opportunity for healing. Because here's the reality: there are many people in our churches today who have had abortions or maybe might even be in a position to consider an abortion in the future, and to not speak about it also takes away the potential for healing because if you don't know that what you did was wrong or you're not convicted of it and then you're not offered the path for healing saying to repent and to ask for healing from god then you that is a crippling burden and so many people carry the crippling burden of abortions in their past because they haven't reckoned reckoned with the violence and the, the fact that this was their child that, that that they were involved with killing and then received the healing love and and grace that only god can give so i think pastors have a huge opportunity here if they will see it that way and it's up to the people around them to encourage them to, to see it that Wait, one other thing I will say, though, Kyle, is it has to do, I think, with sex, too. And it has to do with marriage, because we in our culture have have basically denigrated sex. We have taken sex outside of marriage. We've taken sex. We split it away from children, said, OK, if sex is for intimacy, that's you know, it's, it can be just for intimacy. It doesn't have to have, have anything to do with life. I'm not saying every time a married couple has sex, they have to have a child. That's not how it works biologically. But we have had this 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 mindset in our culture that um, either you can have sex without marriage or you should be entitled to sex without kids. And that mentality is very poisonous because then when someone does get pregnant, and they thought, well, I wasn't expecting to get pregnant. I wasn't expecting to have a child. I'm not planning this pregnancy. Then they're tempted to an abortion. So I think until our churches grapple with and teach the truth about sexuality and God's plan for that, which is between a man and a woman in a marriage where they are open and open to life, willing willing to receive children if God blesses them with those children. Until we see God's vision for sexuality and marriage, I think our culture will continue to wrestle with the temptation to kill children that are seen as unwanted. 
That's great. And I certainly co-sign all of that. And in addition to that, I think for the guys listening to this, a lot of your pastors are unwilling to stand up on the subject of abortion. They're unwilling to stand up and protect the most vulnerable amongst us because they don't think that you're going to have their back. Uh, because they think if the heat gets too hot, that you're going to be one of the guys that's like, hey, Pastor, I, you know, I pass the plate. You know, I, I come here two or three times a month, like I'm good to go. And so that's the encouragement that I would give to any of you guys is Lila's right. Like this is one of those problems that you end up having is that the guys that are supposed to be leading you don't feel like you have their back. And so they don't lead well. And so you have to be able to allow them to lead well. You got to have their back. But one of the things that I'm curious about is basically how live action chooses the way that it goes about fighting this battle. So um, obviously with live action, you've shown pictures of aborted uh, aborted children. You've shown kind of cartoon animated depictions of different abortion procedures. You've done interviews. You have a high profile. But then there's also some people that really like and really don't like the fact that a lot of people in the pro-life cause are now leaning on science as kind of their basis as opposed to leaning on the Bible. Everyone's got their own opinion whether they're inside or outside the pro-life cause. But for you and for live action, how do you decide which ways that you decide to fight, which arrows you decide to shoot off? How do you decide that? That's a great question. So first of all, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Christian, I'm Catholic, and a lot of our staff are, are people of faith. I mean, pretty much all of us are, have some sort of a faith background. And the beauty of our faith, of the faith, is that it does not contradict reason. I mean, God created the world, God created logic, God created science, God created the entire, all of creation. And so the thing, the case that you can make against abortion using science, using basic, the basic morality that is written on the human heart. So this idea that we shouldn't kill each other, um, that, that is actually a larger, that is, that is part of the, the, the world of, of morality that God created. So you can talk about abortion from an explicitly Christian perspective, or you can talk about abortion referencing the morality that is written on every human heart and referencing the the facts of science that we can see which is that life begins at the moment of fertilization a unique individual single cell human embryo is there eye color determined sex determined ethnicity determined everything and should be protected and should be treated as equal because all humans should be treated equally under the law so you can make that argument live action we try to uh, make the most most universal case for life. And we do that every day, reaching millions of people, primarily young people, talking in just the basics of, of fetal development, of the development of the embryo. People don't realize the heart is beating at three and a half weeks. I mean, before a lot of women even know they're pregnant, that child's heart has started to beat. People don't know about the abortion procedure. So we actually just get former abortionists. We work closely with a lot of doctors, former former abortionists to actually describe and detail the abortion procedures. That alone changes hearts and minds. We tell the stories of former abortion workers. We interview them. We do investigative reporting of abortion facilities. It just is amazing to me that that for all the, the political debate on abortion, for the discussions that have may have been have in the past on abortion, many people are actually very uninformed or they have a lot of confusion or there's a lot of misinformation out there. So when they are given opportunities to see the truth about life in the womb, the violence of abortion, the risk to women, that there are better options, that life is a good thing and that it, we should celebrate it, we see hearts and minds changing all the time. 
one, the thing about it is, is, is most people don't stay up on this issue. They, they pretty much decide one day that they're pro-life or pro-choice, but I've seen y'all do things before where you'll actually show people videos of, you know, cartoon depictions of an abortion and, and they just have no idea. Again, it's what I was talking about earlier. It's just a word in their vernacular, abortion. Uh, you know, I, I want to protect women, so I'm for abortion, whatever that means. And they're basically just parroting whatever their favorite politician has said at some point in the past. They've never actually reckoned with it and thought about it. And part of the reason is because of really evil organizations. And what would a good abortion podcast be without talking about one of the most evil companies on the planet? And that's Planned Parenthood. And the thing is, is when most people think about Planned Parenthood, they think of them as a women's health facility that, you know, does abortions from time to time, right? That, and that's obviously not the case. But why do you think that so many people have that perception that Planned Parenthood is just kind of this morally neutral company? Well, I mean, look, Planned Parenthood has been around for over 100 years now. They have been backed by some of the biggest billionaires in the world and of the last century from Rockefeller now to Gates and Soros. And they have friends in virtually almost every major media and a lot of the minor media companies. I mean, most media today is pro-abortion. Almost all the editorial boards of most newspapers in this country are pro-abortion editorial boards. So they and entertainment media. I mean, actresses at the Golden Globes or the Oscars wearing the Planned Parenthood pin when they accept their awards. So they have won and, they, and they've done this, by the way, Kyle because for decades now they have received hundreds of millions of dollars in taxpayer money. So they not only have the billionaires supporting them, but they have us taxpayers forced to give them money right. through Medicaid reimbursements and other funding streams through the government. So they are incredibly powerful. They have built so much cultural cachet. They've built so much of an in institution and infrastructure. And that's why they have succeeded in, and, and, and by the way, they, they buy so many politicians. I mean, they invest tens of millions of dollars in elections to try to get politicians that are favorable to them elected. So we're up against an incredibly powerful infrastructure that is over a hundred years old and live action and, and, a, and, a, and a, you know, a group of other organizations were fighting this battle. The good news is we are winning. We are winning hearts and minds every day because we have truth and we know how to reach, especially the next generation, young people, despite all of these, these power structures working against us. So, you know, there's a lot of work left to be done. I mean, I, uh, there's a tremendous amount of work left to be done and I need everyone listening to be part of this work. I mean, whether you, you become people who speak out in your churches, starting post-abortion healing ministries, support pregnancy resource centers, you know, donate, whether you actually pray outside of abortion clinics, um, definitely if your parents or dads, educating your, your children, loving them well and, and raising them up with character and just to value human life. Um, we all have a part to play. We, everyone is needed to win this battle. Right. And, and the thing is, is you're making the great point that the DAC is stacked against us. That That's just the reality of it. I mean, you've talked about before about how a lot of your social media posts have been throttled. They've been shadow banned. And even a lot of organizations or people even like this, this podcast and this ministry, whenever we post about abortion, there's just something different that happens in the algorithm. It's almost like it was planned to be that way. And so we have to basically fight in, in every way possible short of sin uh, to fight inside of this issue. And part of it is because of what is now become acceptable discourse 
when it comes to abortion. So uh, on this podcast, I've mentioned before, I've mentioned the Overton window for so those of you who, who haven't you know listened to my entire episode on that. It's essentially the the things we're able to talk about with commonality and in common public discourse, right? And so an example that I like to use is with the Overton window. You know, it was crazy ten years ago to think that a three year old could choose their gender, but now we're having discussions about that. Oh, you shouldn't question a three year old boy who thinks they're a girl. You know, stuff like that. But one thing that I've seen that is absolutely terrifying, but also the next logical step in this whole pro-abortion, anti-life movement, it's infanticide. And we saw that with Governor Ralph Northam uh, in Virginia. We've seen other prominent politicians talk about that. From your perspective, and this might be spitballing, this might be a little bit tinfoil hat stuff, but how far away are we before there is cultural support, wide-ranging cultural support for things like infanticide? Sure. Well, here's the thing. The culture is made up of us. So the question is, the question to ask is, will we allow the culture to get to that place? And will we, will we allow, will we continue to tolerate the fact that infanticide is already happening? It's just on infants who are already in the womb that they just aren't born yet. I mean, I, I see no, just, there's no moral distinction between an abortion and infanticide. It's, it's on the same baby at just different, in different locations um, or a different age, you know, at a different age of a child. So we're already there, Kyle, we've been there for quite some time. And what you see when, you know, you see this really gross political displays of support for some of these things. It just shows that they, they've lost um, they've lost their own uh, ruse of, of being moderate, right? Originally it was abortion should be safe, legal, and rare. That's what Hillary Clinton said in the 90s. And now it's like, no, we want abortion through all nine months, even after birth for any reason. And it's, you know, it's, we're going to shout our abortion and it's a woman's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's empowerment. So they, they're changing their, their messaging. But the reason I think they're doing that, Kyle, is because they're getting desperate. They know that you can't just be moderate on abortion. You're hot or cold. You either say that it kills a child and you reject it, or you say, no, this is not a child. And I, or if it is a human, I have full control over it and it has no rights, so I can do whatever I want to it. You can't really p- play moderate on this issue because it's completely intellectually dishonest to do so. So there's a kind of intellectual honesty with, you know, ethicist, so-called ethicist Peter Singer, who's pro-infanticide, and he's um, a very famous, you know, he calls himself an ethicist. I, I wouldn't call him call him that, but he says because the child in the first three months after birth um, is not developed enough, um, you know, his, his brain is not developed enough, then he should be, uh, it should be up to the parents if they do want to uh, subject him to to kill him, you know, to commit infanticide. So you do have those voices in our culture, but I think there's a, um, I, I think it's reaching a fever pitch. And I think that it's now is the time for action. I mean, now is the time for every person of goodwill, every person who knows the truth to speak it to speak it, to not be silenced, to if, you, if someone's trying to cancel you, you, you get back up again and you, you speak it again, to not, to not use the sense of urgency that we have to be cruel or to be unfair or to be ever untruthful. I mean, we should always have our words seasoned with, with a, a, grace, a graciousness and a compassion, but we need to all be speaking because this, this, this battle that's happening, that's playing out is ours. It's not just something that we, we, you know, we're, we're bystanders and this is our battle. And the question is, will we, will we own it? And will we, will we fight for victory in it? 
Right. And I think the best thing to look at this as is this isn't a moderate issue, but there are people that do find themselves in the middle that that can be swayed one way or the other. And, you know, a comment like what that guy said, like, I don't have a baby that's yet three months old. He'll be three months old here soon. I doubt he would say something like that to my to my face. This is just a guy that's just saying things and he's being protected by the people around him, by the people that think that way. But part of the way that we get into the fray is where we actually answer pro-abortion arguments. And so if you go all the way back, guys, to episode 78 of this podcast, it's called Answering 17 Pro-Abortion Arguments. And I kind of break down 17 of these arguments and the questions you should ask in response. It's not always statements. It's not always bumper sticker stuff. It's the questions you should ask these people in response. So I would actually like to bring some of these arguments up to you and have you just quickly kind of go over how you handle those objections. So the first one is the one that's the most common, and that's my body, my choice. So how would you respond to that? Sure. I mean, it's funny as a woman, I do believe that, you know, it is my body and, you know, you have the the right or you have the um, your your body. You get to decide what you do with your body up until the point that your body or your decision may hurt somebody else's body, may hurt somebody else. And when a woman is pregnant, I mean, it's very clear she's pregnant with somebody, somebody else besides herself. I mean, she, you don't get pregnant with yourself. You get pregnant with another person. If a woman is pregnant with a little boy, she hasn't become part male, right? She, ha- she has a, a male baby in her, in, her, in her womb. So yes, I believe my body, my choice, but that doesn't mean I have the choice to kill somebody else and to attack somebody else's body. There's a unique body inside of me and they deserve to be protected just like I do. For sure. And another argument that you hear a lot is, you know, it might be human, what's what's inside the womb, but it's not a person. What would you say about people that are trying to draw a line of delineation between a human and a person? Well, that's sadly the game, tragically the game that every human rights abuser has played for centuries. You know, the blacks are not fully human. They are they, the dehumanization game. They are only maybe three fifths of a person. They, they might be human, but they're only three fifths of a person or Jews are subhuman. So they're not really people and should not be considered as such. And so we should it's OK to terminate them. This is, of course, the, the line of the, the Nazis. I mean, anytime you say any human is also not a person, you're immediately dehumanizing them in an attempt to oppress them. And that's been borne out throughout decades, throughout his, throughout all of history, and even throughout American history, sadly, with our treatment of blacks in America. So, I, you know, to do that now to the pre-born because they are helpless, because they can't speak out on, on their own behalf, they can't defend themselves, it is cruel. And that's why, you know, we're so passionate in the public movement and defending them because they don't, they're not able to defend themselves. Right. And the last one here before we move on with the rest of the uh, interview is this one that you hear a lot and you've heard this a lot more lately for whatever reason, but it's what about the hard cases? So health risk to mom, rape, incest, all the extreme cases. So how do you answer when people ask about that? Sure. Yeah. And one other thing on the human person matter. I mean, the bottom line is if you're a human, you're a person, period. You know, any every human is a person. There's nobody that's just that doesn't get get to be part of the person club because somebody who's more powerful says, oh, sorry, you're not a person because it's inconvenient to me. It doesn't work like that. We're all people. Um, as for the hard cases, yes, there are a lot. And by the way, live action, uh, it sounds like you have a great podcast on this as well, Kyle. Live action has a whole series 
called Pro-Life Answers to Pro-Choice Questions. Um, and it really goes through some of these hard cases as well as just other common questions. But just to tackle a couple, I, there's a common argument that abortion is medically necessary. So they say abortion is needed because otherwise women will die. Well, this is actually a lie. And it is one that has really taken hold of the whole medical profession in America. Thankfully, there are doctors who are fighting back and they say, look, we can provide a find a way to care for both mother and baby. And if there is a treatment, like if the mother has cancer and she undergoes chemotherapy and she's pregnant and that chemotherapy has a negative impact on the baby, you know, it, it, it hurts or even kills the baby, that's not an abortion. An abortion is the intentional and direct killing of the baby. The intentional direct killing of a baby is not a medical treatment. There's no, there's no medical advantage to the mother to directly kill a baby. In extremely rare, serious cases, there may be a situation where they may have to deliver the baby early, but in that case, you try to give the baby a fighting chance. You try to monitor the pregnancy so that it goes on long enough so that that baby may be old enough to survive outside the womb. And then you try to put that baby in NICU to, to, to give that baby a chance. You don't target the baby's body for destruction with abortion forceps and lethal injections, which is what abortion does in the later term or in the second trimester, third trimester. Um, and then another hard case would be rape and incest. Uh, you know, those are obviously horrible cases and um, they account for 1% to 3% of abortions. Um, sometimes, depending on the numbers, it's far less than 1% of all abortions. But in these cases, obviously, we need to hold the aggressor accountable. I mean, we need to strengthen laws to protect victims of assault and survivors, and we need to hold them accountable. But we don't even give the death penalty to rapists. It's against federal law to do that in the United States. Why do we give the death penalty to the baby? Why do they get to be held accountable for the crimes of their father? And does, does an abortion really serve a survivor of rape? Well, you actually look at the stories and Live Action does a lot of work with survivors of rape and victims. And we've discovered, and studies have borne this out, when you are experienced and endure the violence of a rape, that's a violence against your body. And abortion is actually another violence against your body. It's this traumatic, unnatural act that rips a child out of you and it doesn't heal you of the memory of your rape. So an abortion doesn't take away the memory of the rape. It doesn't take away the trauma. It actually adds more trauma. And it adds a moral injustice on top of what was originally an injustice done against you. It adds a second injustice. So on all accounts for the sake of the baby and the mother, abortion is also not a solution in any way to rape. That's great. And 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 what you were saying there, you were also talking about criminality because again, you talked about, you know, you're not going to get the death penalty for something that your father did. Most people, if you look at that outside of the case of abortion, it's like, if my dad, you know, knocks over a liquor store and shoots the clerk, I can't go to prison for that. It, it just makes the most sense. But for whatever reason, people get the, the water's a little bit muddied on the pro-life side. But I think in terms of criminality, I think it's important to talk about this topic and I'd love to get your opinion on it. But most people, and I believe I've seen you said before, you say this before, so correct the record if I'm wrong, but abortion doctors should be able to be charged with murder. That's something that that should be able to happen because obviously these people are intentionally taking a human life. But what I'd like to hear from you is, do you believe that women getting the abortions should be charged with murder? Sure. Well, it, it, I think just like, just like there is a case in a state-by-state -state basis, there are laws that deal with parents who are involved in child abuse, child neglect, or even child endangerment or child killing. In an abortion 
sometimes the mother is the primary aggressor going in to get that abortion. Sometimes she's being pressured into it, pressured into it. Sometimes it's her partner, it's the boyfriend, or it's the mother, or it's even the husband. So I think just like in any other case where there's a child that's killed or endangered, you have to look at the circumstances. You have to look at why this happened, why this child was brought to an, brought to be aborted, or why this child was aborted, and then the penalties have to be applied based on those circumstances. So it's not as simple as saying every woman who has an abortion is tried for murder. Actually, this child was murdered. Why was this child murdered? You look at the circumstances, you look at the evidence, and then you treat that child legally the same way you would treat a newborn because that child is just as valuable and just as much a human as a newborn. So essentially, if a woman walks into an abortion mill, not with a gun to her back, not with an aggressive boyfriend or pimp or something like that, she's walking in knowing that she has a live human being inside of her stomach, but she doesn't care. She's going to go in and she's going to pay someone else for the pleasure of killing her baby. That girl should be charged with murder. Yes. Yeah, I think that she should be charged with um, there should be absolutely criminal penalties for abortion. I think it needs to be criminalized. It's a it's a violent act against an innocent human being. And, you know, there are unfortunately human beings out there who are mothers and fathers who are in their right mind. They're not being pressured and they're willing to do very evil things. And the law needs to take that into account. Um, but I will say that most of the women that I've engaged with who do seek abortion, there is pressure often involved, coercion, and there's often a, a situation of, of fear or, um, you know, circumstances around them that that made them feel uh, driven to do this. And just like those things would be taken into account, desperation would be taken into account in any other murder case, those things need to be taken into account in, in the case of an abortion. Sure. And one quick follow-up on that as, as we move towards the end of our show here is how far do you think that should extend? Because, you know, if I decided I wanted to go kill somebody and I have my buddy drive me there and he doesn't know what I'm going to do, if I go in there and murder that person, he could be charged with murder just the same as me. Yeah, should absolutely. there be charges for the person, the family member that drops them off at the abortion mill or the person that's pressuring them? How far should that go? Or, or is that too contextual to really get into here? No, I don't think it's too contextual. I mean, the law is actually already very, and I'm not a legal expert on all of this, but the law is actually very complex already when it comes to murder, homicide, um, the intentions behind it, the, those that might be accomplices to it. And so any, again, if this is a human life, which we know it is, and this is a child that is just as valuable as a newborn child, just as valuable as you or, you or I. They deserve to be protected by those same laws. So will there maybe need to be added complexities for some of the extra stresses a woman who's pregnant might experience? Yes. But if you are an accomplish, accomplice in, in encouraging or pushing for an abortion, then yes, you should be liable for that as well. Okay, so we'll go and shift gears from that. Very, very important, uh, but also very deep topic. And here recently, uh, everyone on this podcast knows that I've welcomed a baby boy into our family. But you, seven months ago, around that time, you welcomed a baby boy into your family. So this is you and your husband's first child. And so that's obviously a very important and crazy and sleepless and thankless experience and all the things that go along with having a child. But for us specifically, I want to know for you, what did the process of getting pregnant, being pregnant, giving birth, and now raising your baby boy do for your pro-life convictions? 
Well, it definitely just strengthened them. I mean, when you actually have a baby in your, in your I mean, as a man, this has not happened to you, I know, but when you actually have the experience of being a mother, um, and, and a father has a different experience, but it's parallel and the same, you feel a tremendous protectiveness, I'm sure, for your wife and your and your baby. Um, you feel this fierce protectiveness as a mother, but I also have a deep appreciation for um, just the heroism of motherhood because so many women, and especially mothers who are choosing life despite really difficult circumstances. I mean, because of our culture, there's a lot of single mothers out there. Because of our culture, there's a lot of abandonment. And I'm just incredibly in awe of women um, who choose life every day and, and fight for their kids, even if they're abandoned by their partner or their husbands or their boyfriends, or they you know, are just left alone to deal with deal with the pregnancy, deal with the baby. Um, and I, that's why I just love our movement and the work of pregnancy resource centers because, and it just makes me appreciate that work so much more and, and support it so much more because it is standing in the gap for those women who are saying yes to this sacrifice and this beautiful gift of a child. Yeah, I think that's incredible. And you mentioned that fierceness. It's one of those things where, where guys will tell you, you know, right before you have your kid, it's like, you'll never know that you can love something, but they're like, you'll never know the depths that your anger could go until you see something that is helpless. And you just think about if someone was trying to do harm to them. And then, you know, you can roll that into what people are thinking in terms of the abortion issue. What if somebody had tried to take this baby's life before they were geographically outside the womb? Uh, that would be a big deal. But uh, and, another and thing, yeah, other go ahead. Too, just for men, because I know a lot of men are listening. Um, the, the power of a man who is faithful, who is committed to a woman for life and married her and is fighting for her and, her, you know, her being a mother and fighting for his child, there, that is an incredibly important role um, that is, I think, undervalued, not seen, not recognized enough in our society. And I cannot say enough to encourage any men listening. Maybe you're not a father yet. Maybe you're not even married yet, but to just uh, prize, to prize fatherhood and to prize being a husband because I lean on my husband so much. I'm so grateful for him. Uh, he's a strong man who is tender and strong with our son who's, who, who fights for our family. And, and that is exactly the kind of man that is necessary to rebuild our country and is necessary for us to have a shot at ending, ending this crisis that we're facing culturally with abortion. Amen to that. And one of the things that you're going to be doing to help fight this scourge of abortion in our country is that you've actually written a book. And so I'm sure you're going to be talking about a lot of topics in the book that is forthcoming. Uh, and it's going to be a lot about your life and a lot about other things. But uh, as far as I understand it, you just recently turned in a transcript for your book that is looking to be released in 2021. So just tell our listeners uh, about the process. What's the book going to be about? What can we expect? Sure. Well, I'm excited to share it. It'll be out next year. I'll be sharing more on my Instagram and Twitter and my podcast in coming months. But it is a book that's basically a, a part story, part guidebook for standing up for life in a culture that is hostile and in a world full of lies and and, and a full of violence. And so in it, I, I share some of the things I've learned. I hope it's encouraging to other people to give them a, a way to stand up themselves, as well as what I've seen in the abortion industry, what I've seen firsthand in these abortion clinics that are lying and manipulating and profiting off of pain, but that we can overcome this if we are willing to stand up, if we're willing to fight back and not allow it to continue while we, uh, while we just, you know, live our lives and get busy, but instead engage the, engage the battle. Well, we are certainly excited to see that. And next year, whenever this does release, we will get you back on here and we will talk about it to make sure everybody knows where they can get the book and get a little bit more content. But before we let you go today, we are going to do a segment that I love doing with certain guests. And it's called, What Would You Say to Someone That Said? 
And then I'm going to just put in a blank thing and it might be a small issue. It might be a large issue, but here's the rules. You got 30 seconds. That's it. It's just meat and potatoes answers. Not a lot of nuance. You just got to get in and get out. So you up for it? We'll, we'll do, let's, let's try. I, I, okay. I, I go. <laughs> don't, don't worry. It won't, it won't be too terribly scary. And I feel like or, or a bag of peanuts, depending what it is. I don't know what meat, meat and potatoes, but we'll try. Okay. Well, we'll get into it as far as we can. So here we go. What would you say to someone that said, if you don't have a uterus, you can't have an opinion about abortion? Well, a baby is either a boy or a girl. So it affects just as many boys as girls. And it takes a man and a woman to create that baby. So um, if you if you have the potential to be a father, you should have an opinion. See, Lila, mean potatoes. You're, you're going to do great at this. So let's go to the next one. All right. What would you say? Kyle, <laughs> like what's hey. your favorite dessert? But keep going. We're, 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 we got it. <laughs> but you're prepared for this. So it's like, it's, it's not fun if someone's going to be, you know, crumbling under the pressure. You're up to it. So here we go. What would you say to someone that said pro-lifers just hate women? Well, um, I am a woman and I love, wo- I love women and I, they're lying. <laughs> Pretty, pretty straightforward. All right. Next one here. What would you say to someone that said, even if the unwanted baby is taken to term and born, there wouldn't be a family available to adopt them? That's a lie. I mean, there are thousands and thousands of couples desperate to adopt, but they can't because there's a shortage of babies. They're being aborted. I know personally many couples, dozens of couples that want to adopt, but they can't because they're in long lines. So give that baby a chance because there's a lot of families waiting to love them. Amen. What would you say to someone that said, there are so many problems in this world, I just don't have time to be outraged about the subject of abortion? Some problems are bigger than others. And abortion, I see, is the greatest human rights abuse of our day because when you deprive the most fundamental right, which is life, you can't enjoy any other right without life, and you deprive the most vulnerable members of society of that right, that is the core of an, the greatest injustice. You can't, you can't get more... Once an abortion is, is, it takes place, you can't undo it. That baby's gone forever. And that's why this is the greatest crisis of our day, because we're, we're, we're losing 22, over 2,000 of these children every day, and we can't get them back. Yep. There's no mulligans. There's no take backs. What would you say to someone that said abortion helps the economy? That's, first of all, a lie. Uh, human beings are our greatest resource, and their creativity and their, their work and their skill is what creates an economy in the first place. So you kill a child, you kill a human being, and you kill all that potential to create and contribute. And uh, yeah, so I think children are one of our greatest resources. And and then the other thing too is the economy is not the most important thing. I mean, the most important thing is is the is love and serving others. So if you make material goods your god, that's a miserable way to live and die. That's right. A few more here. And this one you hear a lot on the lips of a lot of politicians. What would you say to someone that said, I'm personally not comfortable with abortion, but I don't want to tell other people what to do? Well, it's the same thing if you said, I'm personally not comfortable with child abuse, but I wouldn't tell you not to abuse your child. I'm not personally not comfortable with rape, but I wouldn't tell you not to rape somebody. Well, you can be personally not comfortable with, you know, I don't know, not wearing a seatbelt or jaywalking or not eating meat or something, but some things are right and some things are wrong and killing a child is always wrong. Yep. The logic doesn't follow. A couple more here. What would you say to someone that said, if you support abortion, you're not a Christian? It's true. If you support abortion, 
you're going against the very heart of what Christ taught, which is to lay down your life for others. That's what Christ did for us, for our, the promise of eternal life for our sin. And he asked us to take up our cross and follow him. But abortion does the opposite. It takes another person's life for our own. All right. Last question of the day, Lila. What would you say to someone that said, in the future, abortion will again be illegal in the United States? Amen. <laughs> Absolutely. I certainly hope so. And that's what you've dedicated your life to. And that's what we here are going to do everything that we can to make sure that that is the case as well. But Lila, we have talked about a lot of things in a short time period today, but that is all for me. Is there anything else you want to get off your chest? Oh, I appreciate it, Kyle. And I think I love that men are talking about this because this is just as much a man's issue as a woman's issue. It affects all of us and we need strong men in this fight. So thank you for, for, for fighting for life. Absolutely. Lila Rose, thanks for coming on Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. Thanks for having me, Kyle. You see, guys, I tried to tell you that was a good one, wasn't it? Guys, I really enjoyed that conversation. I'm really excited to have her on next year when her book comes out. But guys, before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. As you know, by now, we are a men's ministry and our mission is cultivating manly resilience. Specifically, we do that by providing you content like this podcast that helps you forge spiritual, mental, and physical toughness. So for today, I've got a couple of links for you. One is the live action website, guys. If you want to follow them, if you want to put the RSS feed on there, if you want to follow them on social media, all of those links are right there on their website. And then also, I've got a link to the Lila Rose show. So that's her podcast that she has. She's taking a little bit of hiatus from that when she's been on maternity leave, but that is about to get ramped back up. So make sure you guys click on that, go to wherever you listen to podcasts and make sure that you subscribe and leave her a positive review. Guys, thanks so much. We really do appreciate listening to this podcast. If you would, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher and refer your friends to listen and share this on social media. Guys, if we deserve a five-star review, please leave us one. That is how this show will continue to grow and get out to the right people. I'm currently booking speaking engagements for the remainder of 2020 and the beginning of 2021. So if you want me to come speak on your podcast, at your men's event, at your church, at your company, whatever, hit me up. Info at undaunted.life. Again, that's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. The website is www.undaunted.life. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at undauntedlife or facebook.com backslash undauntedlife. Check out our free devotionals on the Uversion Bible app. Just search Undaunted Life under plans. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their entire music library for our content. The intro outro track on this podcast is their song Defender, which is off their latest record entitled Guardians. The link's are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep cultivating manly resilience, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical toughness, keep seeking the Lion of Judah. Whoa!